Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast. I'm Andy Hebel, the Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs. And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. Today, we are talking with Ayana McConnell regarding engaging alumni. Ayana McConnell serves as Acting President and CEO of the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan. She has 25 years of experience leading student and alumni programs at University of Michigan and Eastern Michigan University. Thank you for joining us today, Ayana. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You participated in our Higher Ed Careers interview several months ago, so we're going to be touching on some of these topics today. My first question would be, you're very experienced in the alumni area. What has attracted you to this work for for all these years? I'm happy to share that there's four things that I want to share. First is when you work in the space of alumni engagement, you can't sit still. Every year, there's a new crop of alumni. And so as an organization, we're forced to evolve for relevancy. Um, And so as these newer generations of students, or as we call them, future alumni hit the campuses, we're learning from them early so that we can stay connected and stay relevant. There's also a lot of inspiration within the higher ed community. When I think about the alumni stories I get to experience, When I think about the talented faculty and administrators who show up every day to really help people along their collegiate and career journeys, and then the impact that comes from our donors who want to help propel the university or our organizations forward, there's just always an amount of inspiration to draw from. I personally am connected to wanting students and alumni to realize their potential. So I see myself as a sophisticated matchmaker. (laughs) So as I hear something that someone wants to accomplish, I immediately go to, who can I connect you with? Is there a department? Is there a donor, an alum, an office, a company that's getting it right that could be helpful? Um, Is there a peer that you don't know that you should know? So that keeps me very motivated. And then frankly, it's fun. Um, It's really fun to hear the stories of how Michigan has made a difference in the lives of alumni. When I go to places like Case and get to interact with my tribe of people doing this work, it is restorative. And so I really enjoy it and see it as a privilege. That's great. I think you get to see on a daily basis that higher education really does make a difference in people's lives. So you touched on how important it is to learn from, from students early And I'm going to reference the Higher Ed Careers interview. In that Mm -hmm. interview, you mentioned the idea of listening to young alumni and not just assuming. So can you expand a little bit more on that? Like why it's important to build programs and goals around not just assuming? Absolutely. Well, I think the first step in building programs is understanding what your mission is and what your organizational goals are. At the Alumni Association at Michigan, we're independent of the university. So Our mission really is to ensure alumni are connected to each other and to the university. Um, And that can show up in a lot of different ways. But it's important to hear directly from the people that you're serving. As a Gen Xer, me sitting in the room and assuming that I know what is on the mind of an alum, you know, in the last decade is not a good idea. But it also provides an engagement touch point. So when we do surveys with alumni, they respond. In 2014, we did young alumni qualitative research. We literally went to four different cities, two here in Michigan, 
we went to Chicago and to the DC area and sat down and talked to alumni who had graduated within the last 10 years and just heard about how we could do better in terms of showing up through programming, but also listen to what they needed and expected from an alumni association. We just finished a survey uh, this year. So we interviewed alum to help us redefine our membership program. And 44% of the people who responded were young alum who graduated within the last seven years. Going into that, we had some assumptions. And so it's fantastic when someone can myth bust <laughs> and, and set you on the right course. So for example, we think that SMS is the way to go. That's going to be a um, space for the future in terms of communication. And our younger alum said, yes, please email me. <laughs> I don't want the SMS texting. I actually want to hear from you via email. Even as they complain that they get too many emails, that's still where they expect to see us show up. We also have assumed that our young alum want us to lead with what's in it for them. So leading with the discounts or the perks of membership. And in fact, they want us to lead with what we can do to help them connect with other alumni. How can they plug into the network? How can they access this, you know, mystical alumni network of Michigan Wolverines all over the globe? So leading with programming instead of discounts was another. Just asking those questions and marrying where you can, the quantitative and the qualitative research is really important. I love that. You can add Mythbuster to your title, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> While we've touched on myth busting, I'd actually like to flip back to the other role that you refer to, which is kind of the love connection Chuck Woolery role. I'll give you the two and two. If you remember him from back in the day, mm -hmm, absolutely, he was definitely a matchmaker mm -hmm. for us Gen Xers. And I think when you look at that matchmaking now, one of the things I've kind of seen is how that matchmaking among various minority populations within alumni associations has an even more important and more impactful role. Can you speak a little bit to how that has evolved over the past years? I will. Um, when I think about matchmaking, one of the more important components is around listening and then having an arsenal of resources to connect people to. How I've seen it evolve over the years is, you know, maybe even 20, 25 years ago, when I think about alumni affinity groups, right? So our UN Black alumni groups or Latino groups, LGBTQ groups who 20, 25 years ago were just emerging, at least here at Michigan. And our, you know, Latino group has seen a resurgence in the last few years. Our UMBA group has been around the longest at 47 years. In the last four or five years, we've had an interest in our Asian, Asian American Pacific Islander communities to stand up an affinity group. And then our alumni council, which has been around since the 1900s and really advanced some things here at the university. I'm looking over at the Michigan League, which was constructed in part thanks to the alumni council because women weren't around in our Michigan union. And so they helped the university find the resources to create a building for women to go into for a social and community activity. So there's just a beautiful history of affinity impact on campus. But when I think about what that looked like, especially in relation to student support, historically, it might be scholarships. It might be, you know, an annual reception. And our alumni would love to kind of share their stories and, and really inspire and encourage students. 
When I look at some of our Gen Xers or even younger alumni, they want to roll up their sleeves in a different way. I'm thinking about a donor couple who's very generous to the university and to the association with our Lead Scholars Program, which is a scholarship that helps underrepresented minority students who've been admitted to Michigan come to Michigan as a recipient of this merit award. And they also have community activities they can access. But this is a couple who, in addition to funding an award, they get to know their student. Their student was living in Chicago <laughs> this summer, found out she was in Chicago, invited her over for family dinners and activities so she can get to know their family, connecting her to other people within their network. And this happens time and again with alumni who understand that it's not just what happens when you're at the university, but when you exit. What does that look like? And if you don't have the same level of access um, in terms of networks and career opportunities, they want to really stand in that gap. Our UMBA group hosted a student and alumni mixer during homecoming, and it was renting a space in the league and hosting a game night. So it's not just the professional space, it's the community space. It's the, how can I help you have the resilience, especially post-pandemic, when some of our students are still trying to find their way our alumni want to roll up their sleeves and be a part of the solution to that. I also see myself as a matchmaker in terms of connecting university leadership to some of our affinity groups so that they get to know the leaders, the volunteers on the ground doing the work. And in turn, our alumni and our affinity groups have a handle on what's happening at the university now. How is it different from their campus experience? And then more importantly, how can they contribute to solutions, whether it's around campus climate, whether it's around initiatives of the university. A lot of alumni of color give in ways that are non-traditional and not tracked, but still very relevant, right? They're giving to community organizations and churches and family members. And so seeing institutions, even here at Michigan, rethink and reimagine how they invite some of our alumni to participate in philanthropy is really inspirational. So you mentioned how you have surveyed your alumni and how important it is to listen to them. Like you gave an example of you assume that they wanted SMS to communicate, but they prefer email. What role does technology play in communicating with your young alumni? Well, one of the pandemic silver linings we discovered was the value in virtual programming. Historically, when I think about our 100 regional alumni clubs throughout the world, 80 of them being domestic, most of those programs were in person, were in the evening in one central place, even if it's in a big metro area and could provide barriers for people to participate, specifically young alumni who in their early years are on the grind and don't feel comfortable going to a lunch that's in the middle of the day, or maybe they have childcare in early afternoon and they can't um, make evening activities. And so it's been really cool to see our clubs take on virtual programming so that people can access almost on-demand or asynchronous engagement with the Alumni Association. Our career webinars have really taken off as well. Uh, just yesterday, there was a webinar with about 450 alumni. And the topics that we're introducing are around, you know, imposter syndrome or invisible labor for parents in the workplace or how to get a better salary um, or how to, if you're mid-career, 
make that pivot to something different. So moving beyond the, how do I get my first job after graduation, but really having life stage programming and then inviting alumni experts to deliver that and, you know, in a webinar or a conversation with our staff. We're also having fun. You know, we just hired a videographer who's phenomenal. And I will say in answer to an earlier question, Another evolution is getting away from those longer videos that felt more like mini documentaries and thinking more about snackable content. What can someone consume in 30 seconds or less and share with people? And so whether it's something that's happening related to sports, campus activities, we just did a fantastic video around our family camp in Northern Michigan, and it's featuring families something that you don't necessarily see coming out of an alumni association. It's just been really fun to have these different outlets, whether it's social media, video, storytelling in a different way. Um, And so that's how we're really trying to leverage technology. And then we are looking at AI and wondering what kind of impact will that have on an alumni association. We just had our ITS VP from the university come and talk to our board about that. And our staff is really curious, what does that mean? And what kind of doors will that open so that we can still have personal touch points? But if it allows us to scale, like, let's explore it. So maintaining curiosity (laughs) is, is something that's really important when it comes to technology. You know, the efficiencies in terms of how your organization runs with technology, that's important. But what does it allow you to do in new ways with alumni is another place we want to explore. Will a human being ever write a thank you gift at a university <laughs> ever again? Yes. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. I certainly hope so, too. The scary part is, will we be able to tell the difference is what's frightening. And I think you're right square in the middle of what the concern is. Yep. Thanks for sharing all those activities. It sounds like you guys are definitely being creative. And I love the fact that you are tailoring it to different populations because it's, I think, safe to say that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah, absolutely. Our marketing team actually has several personas of different types of alumni. And just this morning, I learned they added two new personas, one being faculty and staff, because sometimes we forget we have alumni that work on our campuses, and then parents who are really big influencers, especially when it comes to our younger alum. Looking for more conversations in higher ed? We invite you to join the higher ed military community as we discuss issues, best practices, news and general trends affecting our institutions and the higher ed military affiliated community. Inspired by the deep commitment to service that veterans and military connected faculty, staff and leaders have towards the academic community, we at Higher Ed Jobs established Higher Ed Military as a resource for both original and curated news and information, as well as job opportunities from colleges and universities actively recruiting military-connected professionals. Visit us at higheredmilitary.com on Facebook and LinkedIn. So, Ayana, we've talked a lot about, you know, kind of what you've learned over the years. Are there any words of wisdom or advice that you could share with your colleagues on what has worked for you, like any statistics on when and how or how often that you should be engaging with your alumni? Well, when I think about all alumni, I would say, you know, work across your organization to come up with a strategic way to get feedback, whether it's around programming or services or expectations. And when you can do that in partnership with people across the university, even better. At the association, we have over 100 alumni clubs. So also partnering with people who are on the ground or standing up these affinity and volunteer networks is another great way to capture feedback. 
one of the things I've learned is just listening goes a long way. And so in 2020, we had a series of listening tours with our different alumni groups, and one was specifically around recent grads. And then just this spring, during our club leader workshop, we had a young alum panel and really asked, you know, there's no one perfect answer, but asked what we can do as an alumni association, as a volunteer network to invite them in. And it was really having a space for younger alumni. So that can mean very boring things like term limits for volunteers or pipeline programs where you're tapping younger alumni sooner than later to get involved. I think the Education Advisory Board did some great research years ago around new trends for volunteer engagement. And that was illuminating to me because the research, and this is, you know, talking to a couple of hundred different universities and associations is, you know, don't stand up the 31st council for people to sit on. You know, younger alumni want to solve something specific. So almost treating it like a hackathon, like do you bring people in for two days and say, this is what we need to solve? Or do you tap subject matter experts who can't give financially, but can give insight and time? And so I think also working within our industry is really important. The Young Alumni Student Engagement Conference that Case puts on every year has been a great way for me to just listen to what's happening on the ground with newer professionals and younger alumni and share expectations across the industry and find some proven practices that are working. Another thing that you can do is talk to the young alumni in your own organization. (laughs) Sometimes people think of alumni as like this separate entity and it's like, Most of us are alumni from somewhere, and we were young at some point. (laughs) But there are probably people in your organization who fit the bill today, and you can just ask them about how they respond to things that are in market or concepts and have that kind of immediate focus group effect. And not be afraid to share what you're learning with your university. Oftentimes, you know, at our university, we have a central office for development. There's 36 fundraising units. We have this independent alumni association over here. But if we are learning things that are relevant to our colleagues, we should be sharing that. And so as we get feedback about what interests young alumni, it's really our job to share that back with the university. Thank you so much. I think the place where we'd like to go now is more about maybe you have one of those alumni who really is engaging with you that's young and excellent. Wouldn't it be great that we could keep them on campus? Wouldn't it be great if they could work in your office if they have an affinity towards the work? What would your recommendations be to either folks who actually might be on the fence and in graduate school or in college right now who are thinking about doing this sort of work, or folks who who have said, oh, I'd love to do this sort of work, but isn't that for folks who are more connected to the university? How do you get into doing this? So there's three things I want to share with you. One, there's a wonderful program through the Office of Central Development at Michigan called DSIP, Development Summer Internship Program. And so years ago, they set up a model that invited Michigan students to spend the summer in Ann Arbor pursuing an internship related to different fundraising units, some community organizations, So the students go to their internship for four days out the week. And on that fifth day, they have 
curriculum that's delivered from the Central Development Office. I think that's been a phenomenal program because it introduces students to the work, but in a cohort model, so they can compare and contrast what their experiences are like. Maybe someone's with the botanical gardens, someone else is with the musical society, someone else might be with an academic unit. We've hosted them here at the Alumni Association. So that network and cohort model, along with the curriculum and job experience, I think is really important. The second is demystifying what is the work. I have to do this nine days out of seven. (laughs) People assume, oh, you're raising money. Well, alumni engagement can lead to financial gifts, but it starts with engagement. It actually starts with service and us trying to serve our alumni population and the university. I remember a student came over, this was six or seven years ago, and they were bringing me a gift because we had provided financial support to a student organization for, it's like an orientation program they did for incoming students. And so this student walks in and they brought me like a mug and a blanket and it was so sweet. And he's like, you know, one day when I graduate and I make my first million dollars, I can give back to the university. And I said, well, were you on the planning team for this program? And he said, yeah. And I was like, how much time did that take? And so he's telling me and I was like, So you've actually already given back to the university because you took time that you could have spent doing something else to help welcome new students and help introduce them to the university. So a lot of students don't realize that they're already doing engagement. It's just with different stakeholders. So helping educate them on that, I think, is really our charge. And then the third is, as professionals, we need to give back to our associations. We need to talk about what the job is and make those connections. When I hear about someone who kind of matches a profile, they're curious, they like to meet people and and discover things, and they're very, you know, driven. Introduce them to the field and connect them. And, you know, I say do informational interviews, find out what it means to be a major gift officer or an alumni engagement person. Our student affairs field is chock full of people who have networks and relationships who make phenomenal alumni engagement and fundraising colleagues. So again, sometimes it's, you know, seeing someone and tapping them and saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? Whether it's here or at another university, I think you'd be great and here's why. So sometimes just pushing people towards our industry is really the onus is on us. I think that's a great place to pivot from because really where you are at the university is trying to create a sense of Now you've been a student and now you've become an alumni. How do you belong in the same way? And I think one of the interesting things about this type of work is how it does seem to lend itself to everybody finding their place, Mm -hmm. which really kind of goes to the essence of kind of what I would call the belongingness movement that's evolved out of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you speak a little bit towards how you involve belongingness and diversity, equity, and inclusion in this sort of work in 2023. Absolutely. I really appreciate that question. And starting with belonging, it's the charge of universities to make sure that the students on the campuses belong. And students will have varied experiences so that when they become alumni, they will either see the association helping them continue a strong sense of belonging Or maybe they will feel marginalized because of whatever experiences they had on campus. 
again, that's why listening is important and not assuming. You know, everyone doesn't go to the big house and go to all the football games and know about Michigan sports and feel like that's enough to have some sort of connection to the university or even where the university wants to go. In 2020, we did a series of uh, listening sessions, and I'll never forget talking to alumni of color who, first of all, let us know that it shouldn't take a tragedy to set up a moment to listen and hear how we can help them belong. But also, it's not just starting with any particular population of alumni. It's really saying we want everyone to belong everywhere. So whether that's our family camp in northern Michigan, whether that's a tailgate in any part of the world, whether it's anything happening on campus, we want our alumni to feel like they should be there. And so asking, what does that look like for our alumni and then providing resources in that space? One thing I did hear loud and clear was to avoid tokenization. Don't wait until a heritage month to celebrate alumni of different identities. Instead of waiting until, you know, September to October 15th to celebrate our Latino alumni, we should be representing them throughout the year. So those are things that we heard loud and clear. And while we do celebrate and acknowledge and honor during Heritage Months, we are always looking through an inclusive and belonging lens through all of our marketing collateral, through our programming, through our engagement strategies, just to make sure that we're showing up and representing all of our alumni on a regular basis. And knowing that you might not get it right, but it's worth it to try and to partner and to also do the education as an organization, not just in our programming, but what does this look like in our hiring practices and in our own learning journeys. And so just making sure that it's a really holistic approach to belonging. Thank you. That's a wonderful way to end our conversation. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Ayana. That was fantastic. And I hope other institutions model your approach. That that was fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been really fun to be here. <laughs> and I look forward to hopefully inviting more people into our profession <laughs> in the future. If you have any thoughts and you're listening, please feel free to tweet us at Higher Ed Jobs or email us at podcast at higheredjobs.com. We'd love to hear your questions, your thoughts, and your comments on this conversation. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to talking next time.